Bible. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, Scripture says your word is settled in heaven. I thank you tonight that what you've said is true, both yesterday, today, and forever, just like Jesus, because he is the word. So, Lord, tonight I pray that you bring to us revelation from your word, that it be revelation from heaven into our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, if you like Bible studies, you're going to love tonight. Because we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. And if you have a device to look at, that might be good for you. If not, you listen closely or take good notes or it's being recorded. And you can get that from Bill. We're going to look at a lot of verses of scripture tonight. The Apostle Paul told us that in the last days, there would be perilous times. The word perilous literally means fierce or dangerous. And I think that, that we would agree tonight that the times we live in are rather fierce. And the only other time that word is used in the New Testament is when it talks about the Gadarene demoniac. And it talks about that he was fierce. And, and, and so we know there's a lot of demonic activity. But we can go by this promise. Jesus said in John 13, 33, he said, These things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. You might have peace. He said, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I mean, that's a good promise. When it says, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, the word tribulation in the Greek, it literally means a situation that's so difficult that it causes you to feel stressed, squeezed, pressured, or crushed. He said, in the world, you're going to have that kind of thing. The word is translated as stress, affliction, or trouble, but it indicates a level of intensity that is almost unbearable. Isn't that a great promise from Jesus? You're going to have times that will seem almost unbearable in your life. I thought I was missing something. Okay. It's not a promise from Jesus. It's not a promise. He's just telling us what's going to happen. Okay. He tells us, he said, in the world, you're going to have that. But he said, he said, I've spoken some things to you so that in me, you might have peace. The word peace, the Greek word is, is irene. Irene um, is, is similar to the Hebrew word shalom. And that word shalom literally means completeness. Something that is complete. If something is complete, there are no missing parts to it. Irene is a similar word talking about being complete. So when the world comes and there's tribulation and it squeezes you and it presses you and it almost seems like you can't bear it anymore, here's the reality. You're not going to be missing anything when it's over. He said, be of good cheer. The, 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 the little phrase good cheer literally means be courageous. Be courageous. Most of the time when that word is used in the New Testament, it means, it, it says, fear not. It, it could have been translated, take heart. So Jesus is saying, when the pressure is on in the world, he said, take heart. Have peace. See, I think when we, if, if you even ever watch the news or look at Fox News or any other news, I mean, it'll stress you out a little bit, won't it? I mean, sometimes I have to just not look at it because it just, it just makes me mad. And I forget that I'm supposed to love people and not want to slap them all the time. 
People are stressed out about politics and about finances and all those things. And if we're stressed out, Jesus said it's time that we should cheer up or take courage. Not be afraid of those things that are going on. He said, I've overcome the world. The word overcome, the Greek word is nikos. Nike got their name from that word. And it literally means victory. Nikos, or nikos is how you would say it in the Greek. But it's, it's nikos. And, and, and in, the, in the language here, it's not just one victory. The grammar speaks of a continuous, abiding victory. So Jesus is saying this, I have overcome the world, I am overcoming the world, and I will always be overcoming the world. Whatever the situations are, we can be sure that Jesus is overcoming the world. Now, what does that mean, the world? It's not talking about the, the planet. What it's talking about, it's talking about systems. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's an arena where Satan attempts to wield his influence. It's the, it's, it describes human systems of the world that, that uh, are not in agreement with the word of God. That's what the world is in, in this passage of scripture. Okay, Satan is the God of this world. He's the God of these human systems that, that contradict what God has said. He's not the God of the earth. He's the God of the world. The earth belongs to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Satan is the God of this world. He operates through these systems that contradict God's word, of course, to attack the church, to attack God's people. But remember, no matter what happens, Jesus is overcoming human systems that contradict the word of God. No matter what that says, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Now, let me ask you an important question. The fact that Jesus said he's overcome the world's systems, is, it, does that promise benefit everybody? Not necessarily. You've got to believe it. You've got to receive it by faith and loving him. Jesus has overcome the world for everyone, but not everyone appropriates the promise. Okay, so, so we're, we recognize that. We must receive his victory. Even though things aren't going like I think they should, I know this because of who he is and my relationship with him. I know this. He is overcoming those situations on my behalf, on your behalf, because we're covenant partners with him. Okay, our job is to trust him. Obey him, whatever he tells us to do. We've got to stay in faith. Now, this is an important thing. We've got to continue to speak his word in prayer as we prophesy to the circumstances that oppose his word. What I just said, that sentence, is a huge sermon. Yes, it is. We've got to continue to speak his word in prayer, prophesying to the circumstance that we're facing. Here's how most Christians pray. Oh, dear God, help me. <laughs> Lord, I'm going broke. God, the car doesn't work. The kids don't mind. Oh, God, it's just terrible out there. We don't have any money. Can I tell you something? That is not prayer. That is simply reporting to God what the devil is doing. Hallelujah, brother. That was really good. 
And we call that prayer. Prayer is not that. We end our prayer with the word amen. And the word amen means this. It means so be it to me. God, the world is a mess. Amen. So be it to me. Why would you want to pray that? We need to be in agreement with him. Prayer is confessing the solution based on what God said. The scripture said, this isn't my message tonight, but you got to know this. The scripture says in 1 John, the scripture says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears us, we have the petition that we've desired of him. So here's what the scripture is saying. When I pray, I must pray his will. What is his will? Whatever is in the Bible is his will. Whatever he's promised. The scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights. God is giving good gifts. We need to pray his word, and as we pray what he said, we prophesy to the circumstance. This little sheet that Peggy gave us last week, or read to us, he gave to us tonight, that is chock full of the word of God. I would tell you to go home, oh, it already has a darn, I was going to give you an assignment to go home and find the scriptures that all those are in, because every one of them is from scripture. That's how you pray. Not, God, my life is a mess, but how about this? Jesus has been made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, but I'm lying if I say that. No, 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 no. Your circumstances are lying. You can't lie if you say the word of God. It can't be a lie. It can be a prophecy. Amen. Let me go on here. The devil is threatening us. And he's telling you and me to be quiet. Don't talk. Hush. Because he knows that if you grab hold of God's word and you begin to pray what God said, he is in a world of hurt. Amen. So now it's not time to be silent. In these times, oh my goodness. I'm not talking about carrying a sign and protesting. I'm talking about getting with God and protesting the circumstances that violate his word with your mouth, confessing what God has said. Isn't that good? Wonderful. I find that a lot of Christians, they'll say stuff like, oh, I, I, I'm just believing God for, oh, I, I, whatever they might say, I'm believing God for a new car. Here's my question when I hear that statement. On what basis are you believing God for a new car? You have to have a basis for it. I know this about faith. True faith can only be exercised in the Word of God. Not in my assumption. Well, I mean, Brother Bill got a new car, so I believe I'll get a new car. <laughs> well, show me the chapter and verse where you can get that one. There are a lot of scriptures about being prospered. There are a lot of scriptures about God meeting your need. But we need to base our faith on what did God say. I'm off track, so I'm going to get right back on it here. <laughs> Romans 8, 28. This is where I really want to go to. Y'all know this verse. Romans 8, 28. Here's what the Bible says. And we know that all things work together for good 
to them who memorize and can name and claim Psalm 91. <laughs> right? No, no. no, no. Well, how about this? We know that all things work together for good to them who know the ten scriptural secrets to financial freedom. <laughs> well, that ain't what it said. Not, not to those who know the seven laws of faith or those who know the grace message. No, here's what the Bible says. We know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So here's the question. Does everything work together for good for everybody? No, no. no that's not what the Bible teaches us. I mean, I've heard so many people in my life Say, well, you know, all things work together for good. No, they don't. They don't all work together for good. Sometimes terrible things happen. But the scripture says they will work together for good to those that love God. To the called according to his purpose. The promise of everything working together for good is not for everybody. It's for a certain group of people. It's a little bit like, I've done several funerals in my life, and sometimes they'll, they'll, you know, we'll be looking at daddy's body, and somebody will say, oh, he's in a better place now. If he was not born again, he is not in a better place. Just because the body dies doesn't mean the person goes to heaven. And we have all these silly theologies, you know, like, like, well, you know, God's in control of everything. Really? Did he control what you ate a few minutes ago? He wasn't in control of whether you salsa or not. He wasn't in control of the speed that I drove to work this morning. Those are my choices that I made. So he, he's only in control of things I give him control of. In the world, they don't give him control. So we, we need to recognize the, these, these silly things that people believe. Or how about this one? Oh, you know, God took Henry home because he needed another flower in his garden. Give me a break. <laughs> We don't become flowers in heaven. We don't even become angels. You know what we become? Us. <laughs> we just, we're who we are. Okay. All things work together for good applies only to a certain group of people. When you're in the right group, even if the devil meant it for evil, it works out for your good. Jo Joseph's brothers thought it wasn't going to work out for him. But he was in the right group. And it worked out for him. And the dream came true. When you're in the right group, man, you can't ever count out the grace factor on your life. Mm. When you love God, there is favor in your life that people simply cannot recognize or understand. God's favor is there. The road, like the children of Israel, may lead to the sea. And it may look like there's no way out, but he'll make a way right through the sea. Because God will work all things for good to those 
to make a choice to love him. Isn't that good? Those are the ones. The people, see, he's called everybody to his purpose. There's not a personal life he hasn't called with a purpose. But here's the deal. We must become those that love God. Those who've exercised their free will of receiving God's love through Jesus Christ. So, I purpose in my heart to love God. I believe you have too. We purpose in our heart to love God. And the reality is all things work together for good. Now, it sounds like it's going to sound like I'm changing gears, but I'm not. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 8, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 3. The scripture says this. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth, or love edifieth. Let me read it from the Amplified Version. It says, knowledge alone makes people self-righteously arrogant. That's a good statement. <laughs> but love that unselfishly seeks the best for others builds up and encourages others to grow in wisdom. Let me just tell you, what, what we do is it's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to know about the Bible. Because a lot of people, I mean, in the world think they know about God or about the Bible. It's interesting to me. You can watch newscasts and they can tell you about the Bible. It's not enough. It says that knowledge alone puffs up. The word puff, the phrase puffs up means to blow up, to cause to swell up, to inflate, to make proud. It speaks of a false largeness, like a balloon that is, that is blown up with air and has no solid substance. Just knowing a bunch of stuff is just being puffed up. Nothing solid, no substance in it. Love, though, the scripture says, edifies. In other words, it builds up, confirms. It has to do with solidity and real growth. Here's what the world says. The world says that, that education, not education, they say knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. We can just get knowledge in these people, they'll have power. However, Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You can't even know anything until you fear the Lord or revere him, have respect for him. I mean, to say no to God is being a fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. All things work together for good is more than just knowing about God, knowing about the Bible. A lot of Christians know about the promises. They had this book out in the 70s, and some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. It was called the Jesus, Jesus Person Pocket Promise Book. And it was a great little book. It had all these promises. And you could put it in your pocket, and you could read them. And a lot of people knew a lot about the book. But it's not just knowing about the promises. It's having a relationship with the author of the promises. It's knowing God, loving God. Verse 2 says, If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. I really love this verse. What it says is, if you think you know more than God, you don't. <laughs> you don't know more than he does. It's impossible to know more than he does. I mean, I can, the, the wisest man, the smartest, most educated man in the world, compared to God, he's like a two-year-old coloring in the coloring book. 
and, and the great artist is coloring next to him. I mean, the little guy can't even stand the lines yet. Compared to God, we know nothing, no matter how educated we are. Compared to God, I mean, God knows everything. Just think about it. He knows everything. He knows the name of every star in the sky. Most of us can't name all the people in this room. <laughs> he can name every one of them. There are billions of them. How, how smart is God? I think it's interesting that this year, that, that on April the 1st, we're having... The, 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 the supreme Christian holiday and the supreme atheist holiday all in one day. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, April 1st is, is Resurrection Sunday. The Christians get to celebrate. April 1st is also April Fool's Day. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And so that's just <laughs> National Atheist Day right there. <laughs> so everybody can have a holiday on April the 1st. Here's a verse I want to get to. Listen to this. This is verse 3. Talking about knowledge, what you know, they said, what you know is not enough. Verse 3 puts it together for me. But, now the word but is a great word because it's a conjunction that basically just wiped out everything before it. Okay? You know, if somebody ever comes to you and says, you know, I would never criticize you, but. Well, they're getting ready to criticize you. <laughs> okay, this one says, it says, verse 2, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know, but if any man Love God. The same is known of him. What does that mean? It says when we choose to love God, then we are known of God. Here's the question. Doesn't, know, doesn't God know everybody? Well, he knows everybody's name. He knows all about everyone. But with only a few is God intimate. With only a few is this manifest presence of God's love in their life. When I acknowledge in my life that, God, I don't know anything compared to you, but I know this, I love you. All of a sudden, I am so attracted to God that he can't stay away from me. He's got to come and be with me because, because that's, that's what's going on. At one time, Jesus said, I never knew you. He's talking about people who tried to gain his favor by their deeds. No, no, our proximity to God is not based on whether God loves us. It's based on whether we love him. God loves everyone. God knows everyone. I mean, the word know has to do with intimacy, like the scriptures that say that Adam knew Eve. It's amazing to me. Churches today are all about knowledge. Christians come together so they can get some kind of heavy revy from the preacher. Listen, it needs to be about us loving God. Loving God. What I, what I love most about Church on the Rock is that, is that Pastor Jackie is committed absolutely to entertaining the presence of God. Mm -hmm. 
that our congregation can come together and love God. That's vital for us. Loving God is being known of Him. Speaking of intimacy. Not just knowing things about God, but experiencing God. See, as Christians, we need to have a life that experiences Him. That we have continual communal experience with Him. And the reality is, we can know Him. More than just knowing about Him, but loving Him. And when we love Him, now we can be led by the Spirit because we have intimacy with God. Let me go back to Romans 8, 28. I'm going to read from the Young's literal translation. It says, And we have known that to those loving God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to purpose. Works out good, not for everyone, but to those who love God. The promise isn't to everyone. The promise is to everyone. But the reality of the promise is only for a certain group. The Amplified Bible says it this way, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. So in those passages, it says that these things are going to work together for a certain group of people. God loves everybody. We know that to be true. But the promise here says there's something about faith's return of love to God through obedience that draws the manifest presence and love of God to people. This is really good. Loving God. Loving Him. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 says this. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Setting my affection is a matter of my will. I get to choose. Like setting my clock, I get to choose. I set my affection. The, 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 the little phrase set affection means to exercise the mind. In other words, Think about him. Be, be mentally disposed to him. Have a positive sentiment or opinion to interest yourself with him, with concern of obedience, to have understanding, to think in a certain way. We're to take time to set our affection on him. God's promise of working things out for our good is to those that love him. Man, I like this. This is really good stuff here. Amen. I always thought that the biggest problem in the church was ignorance of God's word. It's a pretty big problem. Then I, One day I was reading the scripture in Hosea, which I read a lot of times. Hosea 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I thought, yes, if they just knew the word. But that isn't that the deal. It says, because... Thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. It's not the lack of knowledge, it's the rejecting of knowledge. The Lord came to King Saul and he said, I am rejecting you from being king because you rejected my word. Mm -hmm. It was Saul's choice. 
See, ignorance isn't the answer. People just make the wrong choices. I just want to hear some, sometimes I've heard people say, well, if people just knew how much God loves them, they'd get saved. Well, that's not true. The problem is many know about the love of God and choose to reject him. And I'm going to show you some scripture. I'm almost out of time already. Either tonight or next time. I'm going to show you some scripture. And I'm going to show you that people that were right there with Jesus, they knew, they saw, they experienced the love of God, and yet they rejected him. God loves people. But I tell you, we must not only receive his love, we must reciprocate his love. Let me read you a few more verses. Skip down here to something. Let me find it here. 1 Corinthians 8, 3, we just said that. If any man love God, the same is known of him. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. The word, this, refer, this refers to a heart that is fully focused on him. Perfect doesn't mean flawless. It means focused. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may support those whose heart is completely his. He supports them. John 14, 21. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Loving God is a matter of being obedient, serving, giving ourselves away to him. Here we go. I want to get to these passages. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, verses 9 and 10. And I'm almost done here. But it is written... I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It says, but, but God hath revealed them to us by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. There are these things that we've never seen, never imagined, never even dreamt of. But the Bible says that God has prepared them for those that love him. Loving him. The Bible says in, in, first, in James chapter 1 verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he's tried, he shall receive, now listen to this, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. A crown of life is, who's it promised to? Those that love him. I mean, this stuff is all through the scripture. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Not everybody gets the crown. Not everybody gets a partic participation prize for going to church. <laughs> <laughs> the prize goes to those that love him. It's like, well, that's not very fair. <laughs> you know, when I read the Bible, it's not very fair sometimes. You know, there was that steward that was a lazy one that got the, got the one talent, went and buried it. And when he came back, the master said, throw him in, in darkness and take his talent that he never used and give it to the poor. No, he didn't say that. He said, give it to the guy who already has the most. That doesn't seem very fair. The workers hired in one day. The ones that worked all day long. 
got the same wage as the one so they only worked an hour. That doesn't seem very fair. The kingdom is not about what seems right in the mind. There are spiritual principles at work. Listen, we need to recognize that we are happy. We are favored. We receive a crown. It's promised for those that love him. Let me read that last verse from the Amplified Bible. Blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God is the man who is steadfast under trial and perseveres when tempted. For when he has passed the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. Man, I'll tell you, we need to love God. We need to fall head over heels in love with God. I think that I'm going to spend some time maybe teaching from that vein of thinking. Loving God. Loving him. And I know you love God. But there are practical ways that we demonstrate our love for God. We want to love Him. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen.